السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه يجمعين أما بعد uh, so before we begin some housekeeping announcements um, as Maghrib is continuously moving forward the days are getting longer Isha obviously becomes later and that affects the time of the class so inshallah next week Isha Salatul Isha here at uh, Al-Hikmah Center will be at 8 p.m. So we're bringing Isha at 8 p.m. And that means that the class will start online, inshallah, and here at 8.30. 8.30, Allah ta'ala. So 8 p.m. Salatul Isha, 8.30 p.m., inshallah, class starts for those of you online and those of you here as well. Uh, the second announcement is that we've added something to the portal. Um, for those of you, inshallah, and all of you are, you know, you have like, a login to the portal is free. Why wouldn't you have a login to the portal? But one of the things that we added uh, just literally, I think a couple of days ago, is the transcribed notes. So alhamdulillah, we have a couple of sisters who are very dedicated. Jazakumullah khairan. Uh, they have spent probably hours going through these videos and listening to me ramble on and then writing everything that I've said more or less word for word. So for those of us that aren't uh, able to make the notes or are too lazy to make notes or whatever our excuses, it is a very good revision tool because they have actually literally gone through everything and not only have they gone through the notes are color coded because why wouldn't you color code them and also they are referenced so for example the hadith that I mentioned sometimes you don't get the reference because it's too quick or the verse number you don't catch the verse number and the surah number or you know some of the the points that I go off on a tangent um, I think more or less all of that stuff is included either in footnote form, in footnotes, or it is referenced or it is mentioned in parentheses. So that's something which is, um, which is very good. Not all of the lessons are not up to date, so it's not um, so it won't be all the way up to the end of Surah Al-Nasr, but it is like a, a good um, section of it, inshallah, and you know, we're continuously uh, uploading. So bear with us, inshallah ta'ala, but that's something which I would highly recommend that you go to those transcribed notes um, and they are available inshallah ta'ala that starts literally from lesson one so where we started with isti'adha and moving on from the isti'adha onwards that's the second uh, announcement the third and final one before we begin inshallah is that for those of you here in Birmingham and across the UK uh, as Gaka is nodding uh, we have our next Al-Maghrib course coming in Birmingham which is 24-7 the fiqh of dua and dhikr by Sheikh Walid Bassouni uh, which is on the is that the right date? 29th of March. Okay, it says 22 to 24 here. Yeah. Okay, so 29th to 31st. 29th to the, to the 31st of March. It's a good thing I picked that up. 29th to the 31st of March, inshallah ta'ala, at University of Birmingham. So Sheikh Walid Bassouni, as you know, is a very dear friend. He's also someone who is, um, when it comes to English-speaking du'at and shuyukh, probably someone who is at the forefront and, you know, one of our elders and one of uh, the most knowledgeable, in my humble opinion, that we have, inshallah, who's well spoken in the English language. And so, therefore, I would highly recommend it. Not least because he rarely comes to Birmingham. He's so busy that I think, how long since he last came? Two, three years? Three years ago. Three, four years since he comes. So he only comes like once in a blue moon, literally. So this is a, a great opportunity. And it is a great course to learn about the fiqh of dua and dhikr. The 29th to the 31st of March, bi ta'ala. Okay. So... Last week we finished with uh, Surah Al-Nasr, Alhamdulillah, and this week we are beginning with uh, Surah Al-Kafirun. And Surah Al-Kafirun, as you know, is the 109th Surah of the Qur'an. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل يا أيها الكافرون لا أعبد ما تعبدون ولا أنتم عابدون ما أعبد ولا أنا عابد ما عبدتم ولا أنتم عابدون ما أعبد لكم دينكم وليدين. In the the translation of Abdul Halim. He says, say, say disbelievers, I do not worship, you do not worship what I worship, I will never worship what you worship, 
you will never worship what I worship, you have your religion and I have mine. And obviously one of the things that you notice straight off the bat is that there is what we would call in Arabic tikrar, repetition within the surah, and that's something, inshallah, which will come on to um, at the appropriate time. So this surah, the 109th surah of the Qur'an, is a well-known surah, it's a famous surah, it's one of the surahs that not only have we all memorized from a young age, but it is probably one of the most common surahs that we read on a regular basis in our salah. It's one of those surahs that if you ask someone what are the most common surahs that you read in salah, they'll say to you, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهُ الْكَافِرُونَ right? And probably along with ikhlas and falaq and nas, and maybe kawthar and some of those other surahs, it is one of the most common surahs that we read within the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and within our salah and at other times as well. It has a number of names in the books of tafsir. It's most is al-kafirun, right? Which is um, you know the name that we all refer to it by. It is also known in its uh, full form, meaning in, in in the whole of verse number one, surah Qul ya al-kafirun. And as we've mentioned a number of times, that is a common practice amongst the scholars of tafsir and even the scholars of hadith to some extent, Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah and others, when they speak about tafsir of certain surahs, they normally name the surah after the first verse. Right? Tafsir surah, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Tafsir surah, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ right? So that's also a very common way of giving a name to the surah. It is also um, from the names of this surah, is something that we mentioned before when we spoke about surah al-ikhlas. And that is that it is called and we said then that muqashqasha in the Arabic language means to absolve yourself from, to free yourself from. And Surah Al-Ikhlas was given that name because you free yourself from the worship of everyone besides Allah. It is a surah about tawheed, about sincerity, about the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. And likewise, this surah, Surah Al-Kafirun is also similar. In it, we absolve ourselves from shirk and from the worship of anything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the two surahs both have this name, Al-Muqashqashatan. Other scholars said that it is called Surah Al-Ikhlas. Surah Al-Ikhlas. So obviously we have Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? The famous one is Surah Qul Huwa Allahu Ahad. Likewise here it is also a name that is given to Surah Al-Kafirun. And um, that's something which we'll, we'll speak about in a short while. But it's mentioned in a narration, in, I think it's in Sunan Ibn Majah, in the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu, when he's describing the Hajj of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in one of the narrations, and that famous hadith is in Sahih Muslim, the long hadith where he describes and he goes through the farewell Hajj of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But in a different narration, in a different wording, he says that when the Prophet came to the Maqam to pray the two rak'ahs of tawaf, so as we know you perform tawaf, seven circuits, and then it is the sunnah to go behind Maqam Ibrahim and to pray two rak'ahs. They are known as the two rak'ahs of tawaf. He says that in the two rak'ahs of tawaf, qara'a bi suratay al-ikhlas. Within the two rak'ahs of tawaf, he recited the two surahs of ikhlas. Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun an qul huwallahu ahad. And so because he calls them the two surahs of ikhlas, some of the scholars said that from the names of this surah is Surah Al-Ikhlas. Yes, always. Yeah, so it may be a description. So it may not be that that's necessarily a name, but it's describing the content, the subject matter of the two surahs, but irrespective, it is still something which um, you, know, you can say is a name for this surah. It's not a well-known name. Obviously, the, the well-known name is Al-Kafirun. Right? All of these are other names that you'll find in the books of Tafsir. Uh, another name, so we have how many so far? Four, right? Muqashqashatan and Ikhlas. So that's four. Number five is Suratul Ibadah. The Surah of Worship. Surah of Worship. right? Because obviously the word that is repeated over and over again is the different variations of Ibadah. A'budu, ta'budu, ta'budun, a'badtum, all of that. Right? All of it comes from the same root word of ibadah and worship. So that's also from the names of this surah. And finally, number six is Surah Al-Deen, the surah of religion. And that's taken from, from what? The last verse. Lakum deenukum wa To you is your religion and to me is mine. 
right? And so therefore, it is also from the names of this surah. So we have six names that are mentioned in the books of tafsir for this one single surah. And that's not, by the way, the general case. Like normally, in, you know, the names of the surahs is, is one or two. The fact that it has so many names like Surah Al-Ikhlas, like Falaq Das, is an indication of how important the surah is, how discussed here is, and how many scholars gave, um, you know, gave importance to this surah of the Qur'an. It is a surah in which the scholars differed, or about which the scholars differed concerning whether it is Mecca or Madani, when it was revealed. Whether it was revealed before the Hijrah or after the Hijrah. And in the opinion of the majority, it is a surah that is Mecca, post uh, pre-Hijrah, before the Hijrah. And that is the opinion of Ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu an, a narration from Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, Al-Hassan al-Basima, and other scholars. To the extent that Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he more or less, you know, kind of didn't even mention the second opinion, and he said that this surah is Mecca. It has six verses, and it is a Mecca surah. Meaning that he didn't, it's almost as if he didn't pay much attention to the other opinion. Maybe he thought it was a weak opinion. So when Imam Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he does this, uh, some of the scholars in the analysis or in the tahqiq of, or, you know, the verification of uh, the tafsir of Ibn Kathir and his manhaj and his methodology say that Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he says that it is therefore more or less an issue of ijma', an issue of agreement, that the scholars consider this to be a Makki surah, even though that's not the case. But he is someone who only mentions the Makki opinion of this surah. Also, someone who also does the same is Al-Imam Al-Baghawi. Rahimahullah Ta'ala in his tafsir, tafsir al-Baghawi, he does the same as well, and he also mentions it only as a Makki surah. What do the other scholars do? They mention both opinions, like Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi um, and, and Mardi and others from amongst the scholars of tafsir, who are authors of tafsir, they mention both opinions, and they don't necessarily pick one over the other to show that there is a strong difference of opinion in this issue. So that's the... Um, that's the first opinion, right? So as we said, Ibn Mas'ud, Ibn Abbas, Al-Hassan, Ikrimah, and from the scholars of Tafsir, Ibn Kathir, Al-Baghawi, Rahimahumullah, they all said that it is a Makki surah. The other opinion that it is a Madani surah revealed post-Hijrah, after the Hijrah, is also in Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma. So that's also one of the narrations of Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma. It is also reported on Abdullah ibn Zubair, radiyallahu anhuma, the famous companion, of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and from the scholars of the Tabi'een and so on, uh, Qatada and Al-Dahaq. Qatada and Al-Dahaq. So it's not just a fringe opinion. It's not just one scholar who came with this opinion. There are a number of scholars of the Salaf who said that it is uh, from the, uh, from the uh, after the Hijrah. The difference of opinion Allah Azza wa knows best, and this is something which will come on to shortly, the difference of opinion seems to revolve around, number one, is there a cause of revelation for this surah? Because if there is a cause of revelation, then the cause of revelation that we have, and we'll discuss this and its merits and its authenticity or lack thereof, it is a cause of revelation that clearly puts the surah in the Mecca framework, in the Mecca time frame. So meaning that it was revealed before hijrah. But perhaps some of the scholars who said that it was post-Hijrah either weren't aware of that cause of revelation or they didn't consider it to be authentic or perhaps because the surah deals in general terms. Well, ya ayyuhal kafirun, right? It is something which is very generic in its, uh, in its opening statement, in the opening verse that Allah Azza wa mentions. Perhaps they said that it includes everyone and not just the Quraysh of Mecca and this is something which we'll come on to in more detail as well. But there is the point being that difference of opinion, but the object of the scholars and Allah knows best is that it is a Makki surah. This is a surah, as we said, which is mentioned in many, many ahadith. And it's mentioned in many different or on many different occasions. And it is therefore a surah which has a lot of emphasis placed in it, on it within the sunnah. And therefore it is reflected also in the books of tafsir and hadith and so on. So for example, it's reported in the hadith in Sahih Muslim on the authority of Abu Huraira and this is just a rundown of in which context the surahs are meant, this surah is mentioned in the sunnah. It is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Huraira in Sahih Muslim that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qara'a bihima fi raka'ati al-fajr that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would read this surah and surah al-ikhlas in the two raka'as of fajr, meaning in the two 
sunnas of Fajr, right? The two sunnas of Fajr, which are often called the Rak'atay al-Fajr, right? The Prophet said, Rak'atay al-Fajr khayrun min al-dunya wa ma fiha. The two Rak'ahs of Fajr, meaning the two sunnas of Fajr, before Fajr, are better than this world and everything within it, right? So in this hadith, Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu, anhu says that the Prophet this was his common practice, that he would read these two surahs, Kafirun and Ikhlas, in the two rak'ahs of Fajr. And similar to it is a narration in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa fi al-raka'atayni qabla al-fajr, wa al-raka'atayni ba'da al-maghrib, bid'an wa ishrina marrah, aw bid'a ashrata marrah, qul ya ayyuha al-kafirun wa qul huwa Allahu ahad. That the Prophet would read in the two sunnas of Fajr, before Fajr, and the two sunnas after Maghrib. And he says that I saw him do this either 20, more than 20 odd times or 10 plus times. The narrator is unsure as to which one he did. Did he say 10 plus or 20? And so therefore you have what is known as shak, right? The, the narrator has a moment of uncertainty. And that shows you to which level the narrators of hadith went in ensuring authenticity of the hadith of the Prophet That if they weren't sure, even though the narrator is a thiqa, he's a trustworthy, reliable narrator, but even the most trustworthiest of people have moments of, you know, like memory lapse or forgetfulness, or they're not just sure of a certain, uh, you know, detail. And both options, or they would mention what they are uncertain about to ensure authenticity of the narration. So he differs. 10 plus times or 20 plus times, in them the two rak'ahs before Fajr, the two rak'ahs after Maghrib, he would read, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ and قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ Yeah, so <clears throat> in the science of hadith, this isn't like an example of that. Because this is shak, this is the, 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 the narrator is just giving you both options. But if, for example, there is a trustworthy narrator, and then there is someone who is more trustworthy that differs from him, then yeah, then the one who is more trustworthy is given preference. Yeah. But that's a hadith which isn't explicit either in terms of its meaning. Because longest hand can mean different things in, in hadith. What I mean is the addition by one of the narrators by saying it would be so that because... Because but that's, that's, that's different. That's the understanding of a narrator of what the hadith refers to. Okay. Right, so for example, you have the hadith, and this is going way off topic, but anyway, the, like the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, the hadith of Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu, there is in a Bukhari al-Muslim, and he was speaking about the... Um, the virtues of wudu on Yom Al-Qiyamah and that the people who do wudu and they do wudu properly will come min wudu. they will come with light emanating from their arms right? and so Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu would do what? he would consider it to be meaning that you wash all the way up you stop at the elbow you will wash the upper arm as well because he would say I want my light to be increased right? why would you limit it to here? But he's the only one who did that. It's not reported as far as I know from any of the other companions that they did this. That's an understanding of the hadith. Right? That's his interpretation of the hadith. Right? That's his understanding of the hadith and that's his tafsir. That's called tafsir al-Sahabi. It is the understanding of a companion. But when you find that the majority of the companions differed with that understanding, therefore you know, therefore it is an issue of... You know, right? Your... Um, you know, your um, example that you want to give was, for example, there's a narrator who is acceptable, he's trustworthy, and then there's another narrator who differs with that same uh, narrator in an issue, is something, for example, like in the hadith of, um, the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ married, was it Maymuna radiallahu anha, and they differ as to whether he, uh, at which part he proposed to her. 
right? And you have different state of Ihram or outside of the state of Ihram. And the narration that is stronger is the one that says he was outside of the state of Ihram. And that's the one that's narrated by the person who was appointed by the Prophet ﷺ to go and offer the proposal to her. The, no, the, the hadith isn't considered to be shad, but it's considered to be uh, the, 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 the wording of the hadith or that particular aspect of the hadith is considered to be a weaker point. So when you compare the two, you say that's a weaker point because this one is stronger because he's the one who he did it and he knows when and how and, and where he did it. Whereas the other companion wasn't aware and they just knew the general story and they gave that narration to the best of their ability. And you have this very common in, in the sunnah uh, where you get like companions differing over this issue. So there, that's like a whole, um, I don't even know how we got onto that, by the way. Oh, 20 or 10, yeah. But that's like a different issue, right? So the narrator, when he says, is it 10 plus or 20 plus, he's just not sure because Ashra and Ashreen is very close in Arabic in terms of wording. And he just, the point here, therefore, being that it's something which the Prophet ﷺ would read in the two rak'ahs before Fajr, especially. And in this narration, the two rak'ahs after Maghrib as well. So he says, in, in one wording, he says, Ramaktu, right? He says that I followed the lips of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, sometimes when he would recite, even though he's reciting silently, if you're sitting close by, you can, like, sometimes when you're, someone's reading silently and you're close to them, you can still make out words of what they're reciting. And that's what he always did, right? Look at how precise the wording of Ibn Umar is. Can't make that statement because he wasn't there every day, he wasn't there all the time. Can't say this was all the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. But clearly, it was something which he did on a very consistent and common basis. Because even if it's 10 plus or 20 plus, shows that it's something which is common, right? And in the lifespan of Ibn Umar with the Prophet Sallam, 10 plus, 20 plus isn't much, right? Considering you're praying Fajr and Maghrib every single day. So, but the point here being that it's something which is therefore in books of, of hadith and, and the explanation of hadith, you will find that some of the scholars say that it is recommended. Right, it's recommended to read these two surahs in the two of Fajr. That doesn't mean that you can't read other surahs. Clearly you can. But it is something which is part of the sunnah to do so at least every so often. And similar to it is a hadith that is in Ibn Umajah on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha, also authentic, in which she said, Ni'mat al-suratani, or rather the Prophet said, Ni'mat al-suratani, yuqa fi raka'atini qabla al-fajr, qul huwa Allahu ahad, wa qul ya ayyuha al-kafirun. Blessed are the two surahs that are recited in the two rak'ahs before Fajr. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ So again, virtues of the hadith. That's one, right? So it's therefore the common practice of the Prophet ﷺ in the two rak'ahs before Fajr, the two rak'ahs after Maghrib, that is reading these two surahs. It's also reported, as we mentioned, that the Prophet ﷺ would read these two surahs in the two rak'ahs of tawaf. So after he would perform tawaf, as is in the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu in Sahih Muslim, فَجَعَلَ الْمَقَامِ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ الْبَيْتِ فَصَلَّى رَكَعَتِينَ قَالَ فَكَانَ يَقْرَأُ فِي الرَّكَعَتِينِ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ وَقُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Jabir radiallahu anhu says, and his is the long hadith, in which he describes the hajj of the Prophet sallallahu from the moment that he set off from Medina, all the way till the end of Hajj. It is an extremely long narration. Right? And scholars written books just on the explanation of this hadith in showing the description of the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ because it is extremely detailed. He literally went through all of the steps that the Prophet ﷺ took. So he says that when he came after the tawaf to the maqam, he placed the maqam of Ibrahim between himself and between the Kaaba. And then he prayed two rak'ahs and he recited in them, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ so therefore it is the sunnah cite these two surahs in the rak'ah of tawaf. In the hadith of Ibn Abbas, so that's the second time, the third time Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma says in the hadith and is in the tirmidhi, كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقْرَأُ فِي الْوِتْرِ بِسَبِّ حِسْمَ رَبِّكَ لَعْلَى وَقُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ وَقُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ فِي رَكَعَةٍ رَكَعَةٍ that the Prophet ﷺ would read in his witr prayer, each one in each one of the rak'ahs, right? In the three rak'ahs of witr, he would read these three sunnahs. So we have the two rak'ahs of Fajr, the two rak'ahs of Maghrib, the two sunnahs of Fajr and Maghrib, the witr prayer, 
and the tawaf, right? The two rakahs of tawaf. In all of them, it is established that the Prophet would read these surahs, right? Just as it was the common practice of the Prophet in Jumu'ah to read A'la and Ghashiyah. And likewise in the two rak'ahs of the Eid prayer and so on and so forth. Right? So you have certain surahs that the Prophet would read certain salahs. Right? From them is Qul Ya Kafirun in these four different salahs that we just mentioned. Just one second, can I just finish this? Because there's one last thing in which the Prophet used to read surah Qul Ya Kafirun, but it's not a prayer. It is a night before he would go to sleep in the hadith of Nawfal ibn Mu'awiyah that is collected in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and Al-Nasai that he said, uh, the Prophet said, إِذَا أَخَطَّ مَضْجِعَكَ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَقْرَأْ قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ عَلَى خَاتِمَتِهَا فَإِنَّهَا بَرَاءَةٌ مِنَ الشِّرْكِ ثُمَّ نَمْ عَلَى خَاتِمَتِهَا فَإِنَّهَا بَرَاءَةٌ مِنَ الشِّرْكِ When you take your bed at night, when you go to sleep, then read قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ and sleep upon it, for indeed it is to free yourself from shirk. Meaning that if you read this and then go to sleep, you have made your intention clear that you're not upon shirk, right? you are upon tawheed. So that's the salah, and then you have obviously uh, this in terms of going to sleep, and that is also an authentic hadith, collecting the nasai as we said, and the musnad of Imam Ahmad, and the darimi, and in other than them as well. Yes. Is it problematic if someone only reads those two surahs constantly? Uh, not necessarily problematic, but it is also, um, I would say, good sometimes not to read them because they are not wajib. It's not an obligation. And anything which is not an obligation, sometimes to change. Like Umar radiallahu an, used to do sometimes when he was reading the salah and he would come across a verse of prostration, he would make the prostration and people go into prostration. But then sometimes when he would come across that same surah and that same verse, he wouldn't make the prostration. And when people asked him, he would say to show people that this is allowed and that's allowed. It's not an issue that is obligatory. Right? So I would say that your general practice would be that yes, you would read those two surahs. But if on the odd occasion you don't, then it's not something which is, you know, which is a problem. I mean? But the previous hadith which mentioned three surahs in the witter, is that the evidence of today is better to read three than the witter of that? So can the uh, evidence or can the hadith that we just mentioned, mentioning the three surahs for witr, be used as an evidence that it's better to read three rak'ahs for witr? That is, as the scholars say, the three rak'ahs of witr is adna al-kamal. It is the minimum best that you can do, right? That's the optimum that you should strive to do, right? So one is less than this, three is the minimum, but it's reported that Prophet would sometimes read more. But three is generally considered to be, you know, like the best that you can, just as, for example, ruku' And in sujood, you say, Subhana Rabbil Azim, Subhana Rabbil Ala, three is the best recommended number, right, minimum. Whereas if someone is to read one, they, their prayer is still correct. It doesn't become incorrect because they've done the bare minimum, but the optimal minimum is that they read three. Right? And that's similar to this issue of, um, of the bitter prayer, and Allah Azza wa knows best. Uh, if there's any questions from anyone online as well, please feel free to post them. So... So the hadith to show you how, um, you know, how strongly the Prophet not only was attached to this surah, number one, number two, how it's something which he would incorporate in his daily life by reciting them at different portions of the day or at different times and places. And then number three, the link between the two surahs that are mentioned together, right? Surah Al-Kafirun and Surah Al-Ikhlas, they go together hand in hand. One is to speak about Allah being free of shirk, and the second is to speak of the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said there is not a surah in the Quran that is more difficult to bear upon Iblis than this surah. Because it is a surah of Tawheed and a surah that frees a person from shirk. Not a surah that is more difficult to bear in the Quran than surah al-kafirun upon Iblis because it is a surah of Tawheed and it is a surah of freeing oneself from a shirk. Right? And that's why the scholar said, by the way, that this is one of those surahs that you read to free yourself from shirk. He said it has the name of muqashqasha, which means that you free and absolve yourself from shirk. From the virtues of this surah that's also mentioned, and we hinted at this uh, last week, two weeks ago. Yeah. Muqashqasha means to free yourself. 
I don't remember now. Go back to the transcribed notes. Uh, the virtues that we mentioned, um, we spoke about this in, in Surah Al-Nasr. Right? This narration that we mentioned, we mentioned that it's a, it's a weak narration. Um, but that is that a man came to the Prophet Sallallahu and he said, in the hadith of Anas ibn Malik and the Tirmidhi and the Muslim ibn Muhammad, a man came to the Prophet Sallallahu and he asked him, the Prophet Sallallahu asked the man, are you married? He said, no, Messenger of Allah, I have nothing to get married with, meaning I have nothing for my diary. So he said to him, do you not have Qulhu Wallahu Ahad? He said, yes, he said, it is a third of the Qur'an. Do you not have Iza Ja'a Nasrullahi Wal Fatih? It is a quarter of the Qur'an. Qul Ya Yuhal Kafirun, it is a quarter of the Qur'an. Iza Zulzira, it is a Qur'an. Ayatul Kursi, do you not have that? Then you have much. So get married, get married. Right? This is a narration that we mentioned before. As we said, it is a narration that the majority of the scholars of Hadith consider to be a weak narration. But it is something which is mentioned in the books of Tafsir as being a, um, a virtue of the Surah, which is why I mention it here. But it is a weak narration. Um, but one of the points that is mentioned as to how, remember when we spoke about Surah Al-Ikhlas being a third of the Qur'an, we said the way that they mention it being a third of the Qur'an is that the Qur'an is split into the Tawheed of Allah in terms of content, the Tawheed of Allah, do's and don'ts, right? Halal and haram and stories. And because Surah Al-Ikhlas speaks about Tawheed, it is like a third of the Qur'an. This Surah being a quarter of the Qur'an, how do they say that it is a quarter of the Qur'an? Well, they say that it speaks to, in terms of actions, you divide actions into actions of the limbs and actions of the heart. And each one of them, you further divide into halal and haram. So halal actions of the limbs, haram actions of the limbs. Halal actions of haram actions of the heart. And this surah speaks about the issue of what is not allowed in terms of actions of the heart, right? the shirk aspect. And therefore, it becomes a quarter of the Qur'an. That's something which some of the scholars of Tafsir mention in terms of explaining how it is a quarter of the Qur'an. But as we said, that, that narration is a weak narration and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So we come on now to the cause of revelation. Right? What is the story and the cause of revelation behind this surah? It is mentioned in the Tafsir of Ibn Abi Hatim and Imam Al-Tabari and Imam Al-Tabarani in his collection of hadith and Mu'jam al-Saghir, they mention a narration of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma, that the Quraysh came to the Prophet وسلم, and they gave him a number of offers. They gave him a number of promises. One was that he would become the wealthiest man of Mecca, right? that they would give him wealth and he would become the wealthiest man of Mecca. Number two was that he could marry any woman from amongst them. And, you know, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And they said to him, we will give you all of this. However, you must stop criticizing our gods. You must stop criticizing our gods. And if you refuse, then we have a further offer. So he asked them what was their further offer. And they said, in it is good for us and good for you. One year, you worship our gods, Allah and Al-Uzza. And the next year, we will worship your gods. Right? We will worship your gods. To wait, the Prophet ﷺ told them, wait for the response of Allah Azza wa Jal, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala revealed this verse or this surah rather, "Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun," and the verse in uh, Surah Al-Zumar, "Qul afaghir Allahi ta'muruni a'budu ayyuhal jahinun." Say to them, "Do you command me to worship other than Allah, O people of ignorance?" وَلَقَدْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ وَإِلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ لَإِنْ أَشْرَقْتَ لَيَحْبَطَنَّ عَمَلُكَ وَلَتَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ You and those have revealed those who came before you, meaning of the prophets, that if you were to make shirk, we would destroy all of your actions and you would be from the losers. بَلِ اللَّهَ فَعْبُدْ But rather worship Allah alone وَكُمْ مِنَ الشَّاكِرِينَ and be from the grateful. So Allah revealed these, uh, this surah and those verses from Surah Al-Zumar towards the final passage of Surah Al-Zumar. So therefore, what is the cause of revelation? What is the reason behind the surah being revealed? This offer that the Quraysh so many that the Quraysh went through many different stages. Right? And there's so much uncertainty in that time. You know, like today, I'm sure as you're aware, we had that Brexit vote, right? And like the whole countries, no one knows what's going on, no one knows are we going, are we not going, what's happening. And there's so much uncertainty, right? And if you read the news, that's all everyone's talking about. But when you study the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, what you find is that they lived every single day in uncertainty. 
every day they wake up, every day they go out. They don't know what they're going to face. They don't know how the Quraysh are going to respond. What's going to happen? They don't know how they're going to be attacked or tortured or persecuted. They don't know what that day will bring or what the next day will bring for themselves and their wealth and their families. It is uncertainty upon uncertainty. And the Quraysh went through many different stages when it came to trying to suppress Islam from outright violence, just kill them, torture them, persecute them, to give them offers and try to seduce them with offers of wealth and money and power and leadership and fame and what have you, until they even came to of, okay, let's be reasonable and let's sit down and let's have a discussion and let's meet some kind of compromise, you know, let's negotiate, right? Let's come and let's compromise. What was the compromise of the Quraysh? Okay, you worship our gods, right, for one year, Allah and Uzza and all of those others, and for one year, we'll only worship your God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This was the compromise that they reached. This narration, by the way, is a weak narration. In and of itself, it is a weak narration. But there is another narration, also mentioned by Imam Al-Tarahullah in his tafsir, that Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira, and Al-As ibn Wa'il, and Al-Aswad ibn Al-Muttalib, and Umayya ibn Khalaf, four of the leaders and the chieftains of Quraysh, came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they said, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Halumma fal na'bud ma ta'bud wa ta'bud ma na'bud. Let us come together and we will worship what you worship and you worship what we worship. Wa nushrikuka fi amrina kulli. And we will be together. Right? We will be partners together. Fa'in kana alladhi jitta bihi khayra mimma bi aydina kunna qad sharikna fi. Because if what you have bought is better than what we are already upon, then we will also be partners with you in that good and we will take a portion of that good. And if what we are upon is better than what you have brought, you will be partners with us once again and you will take from the goodness that we have. So Allah revealed, the surah قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ And that's a second narration which obviously supports the first narration. It is from a different narrator. But again, as an individual narration, it is weak. It is a weak narration as an individual narration. The third narration is collected uh, by Imam al-Suyuti rahimahullah in his book of uh, Tafsir. And um, I think it's Abdul Razak, I think. But anyway, that the Quraysh came to the Prophet وسلم, and they said to him that if you agree with us, we will follow your religion for one year, you will follow our religion for one year. And Allah revealed, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ So these are three narrations and again this third narration is also weak. So we have three narrations, all of them speaking about the same cause of revelation more or less in slightly different wording but the same cause of revelation each one of them individually, but when we put them together, they become hasan, they become acceptable narrations, as Shaykh al-Bani rahimahullah mentioned in his authentic seerah and in other uh, books of his as well, that each one individually may be weak, but when we bring them together, he said rahimahullah, they become hasan, they become an acceptable narration. So therefore, the cause of revelation, and therefore this supports also the position as we mentioned at the beginning, of those scholars who said that it is a Makki surah, because the cause of revelation clearly puts it into that time frame of the Mecca and the you know, discourse between the Prophet and the Quraysh of Mecca. Right? And that is that this is the position that they had. So from all of the different strategies that they used with the Muslims, with the Prophet and this shows you by the way the weakness of anything that is not based upon the firm principles of Iman and Islam. Because the Prophet ﷺ, his principles are always the same. And his morals are the same. And his convictions are the same. And irrespective of whether it's torture or like giving him wealth or offering him this or that, or whether it's these types of let's sit down and compromise and negotiate, he knows where the red lines are. He knows what his principles are. He knows in what he can وسلم, negotiate and what he can't. What he can compromise and what he can't compromise. And this is a very important lesson for us because sometimes in our communities, in the issues that we face, the people who represent us don't have that knowledge of Islam. They don't have the knowledge of what is 
in the religion of Allah, you're able to give and take. Because the Prophet ﷺ on this issue wasn't willing to negotiate. They're willing to negotiate because their religion isn't based upon those principles. They don't have that firm conviction. They're more than happy to do this for a year and do that for a year because that's the way their religion was. But the Prophet ﷺ isn't willing to compromise. But on other issues, like for example, the most famous example being the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, where there is scope for give and take, for compromise, the Prophet ﷺ not only was willing to do so, but he did so That's because it doesn't deal with those issues in which there is no room for maneuver. And that's an important lesson in our own lives, because when we deal with our families, with our communities, when we deal with our friends, when we deal with our spouses and our children, we have issues amongst ourselves and often and sometimes they are religious issues or they have religious connotations to them. We have to know what is what we can compromise upon and what we can't compromise upon. Be that marriage, be that divorce, be that inheritance, be that business, whatever it may be. Things that this religion says there is no compromise upon. And what there is compromise upon so that when you sit you can yes give and you can take. That knowledge of awlawiyat, of priorities, of thawabit, of what is firm and established in this religion of usul, of principles, is extremely important for not only like those issues, but every single day, daily life. And then obviously when those negotiations and those issues are something which don't just deal with me as an individual or my family, but they deal with us as a community, or they deal with the ummah, then it is even more important that you have those people at the table to give that advice and to say, no, this is something which in the religion of Allah isn't acceptable. Not something which we can compromise on. But yes, maybe that's something which we can give and take upon because this is what the Prophet ﷺ showed and did in his, uh, in his lifetime. And also, it's a lesson that he gives to the companions. Right? It's a lesson that he gives to them because they will do exactly the same in the Khilaf of Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali radiyallahu anhum ajma'in and further on as well. The scholars have always understood. So, the Quraysh are willing to compromise, but the Prophet ﷺ isn't willing to do so. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to affirm that principle, he reveals his surah of the Qur'an, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Surah to قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ So that is the cause of revelation. Any questions so far? Or should we go on to the tafsir or the first surah? Okay. You mentioned, uh, this is an online question from, is that Haris? 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 Haris. Uh, Sheikh, you mentioned Witr of Isha a short while ago. Please, can you explain one rak'ah versus three rak'ahs? So, um, it's allowed to pray the Witr prayer in, in, in different ways. As long as the odd number of rak'ahs is reported as one rak'ah and three rak'ahs and five and seven and nine uh, and eleven, it's reported that the Prophet uh, allowed all of them. So, uh, the most common and the most recommended is to pray three. And the three has two formats. The first is the rak'ahs, and then you make the taslim, and then you pray one rak'ah. Right? And the other way of praying the three is that you pray all together the three, but without sitting in the middle after the two. So you don't make it like Salatul Maghrib, even though there is an issue of difference of opinion, I know, among some of the madhabs concerning that. So those are the two like common ways. And then obviously if it's one rak'ah, you just pray one rak'ah, and you make the taslim at the end. Right? Um, okay, so let's carry on. So verse number one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Say, O We mentioned before that the word قُلْ, right, which means say, there are a number of surahs in the Qur'an that begin with قُلْ. Right, how many? How many surahs of the Qur'an begin with قُلْ? Six? Anyone else? Minimum four. And maximum, 114. <laughs> Five. Which are? Ikhlas, Kafirun, Nas, Falak. Those are the four easy ones, right? Which is why the brother said minimum four. Right? Everyone knows the four. And the fifth one? Jinn. MashaAllah. Right? Suratul Jinn. Right? So five surahs of the Quran begin with the commandment which means say. The Prophet ﷺ is instructed to say. Three of them, three of those five, are an instruction to the Prophet 
to preach something, to say something to someone else. Right? To say something to someone else. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ Say, meaning say to the people, Allah is one. قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Say, O oh, disbelievers. Right? He's addressing people. قُلْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ أَنَّهُ اسْتَمَعَ نَفَرٌ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ Say that it has been revealed to me that a group of jinn came and they listened to the Qur'an. Right? So the Prophet is being told to preach this. The other two surahs are also a commandment to speak, but they are a personal instruction. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Say, I seek refuge. Right? And قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْنَاسِ Say, I seek refuge. Right? And so some of the scholars of Balagha, of uh, Arabic or Quranic eloquence, they mention this, this like fine point in the differences between these five. Those three are for everyone else to know. But the Mu'awwidatin, as we mentioned before, because the Sunnah shows that these are surahs that you read right, in the morning, in the evening, after the salahs, and so on and so forth, because of how beneficial they are to you. Right? And so the Prophet is being instructed to say them first and foremostly for himself and his family and so on. And likewise, therefore, us as well, it is foremost for us. Whereas the others are declarations and they are for, the Prophet is being told to say them for the benefit of the people. So, قُلْ يَا الْكَافِرُونَ is one of those five. Allah says قُلْ and then he says يَا أَيُّهَا يَا أَيُّهَا يَا أَيُّهَا Three words that are brought together into one. Each one of them is to draw attention. So ya means oh, right? We would say oh, Amin, right? Oh, Uwais, oh, this, oh, that. It's to draw attention to call, right? In Arabic, it is called harfun nida, right? The word of calling on the call, the address, right? You're calling someone, oh, so and so, right? Ya Fatima, as is mentioned in the Sunnah, many hadith, ya Fatima, ya so and so, ya. The Prophet would call people and address them and it's to draw their attention. Ayyu also does the same thing in the Arabic language. And the ha at the end also does the same. So you have emphasis upon emphasis upon emphasis three times in drawing the attention of a certain group of people. And that's to show, number one, the eloquence of the Quran, the eloquence of, this, of, of how Allah Azza wa is addressing this issue. But number two, to show the seriousness and the importance of the issue. That there is no scope for negotiation. Especially first verse in light of what we said was the cause of revelation. Because the Quraysh think that it's something you know, easy, right? We just come sit down, you worship your gods for one year, I'll worship my gods the next year, and you know, we'll all come together and we'll swap and change, and it's all okay, and it's all fine, and we can switch and we can do this, right? And this is something which even today you have, right? People who say, oh no, it's fine, all of the religions are the same, there's no difference, it's all the same thing, you know, whatever else. Allah Azza wa Jal is emphasizing, not once, but not twice, but three times, that no, these are issues which are just simple. They're not just issues which you can, you know, just sit down over a cup of tea and think that it's okay and it's fine. These are serious issues because this is the foundation and the basis of Islam. So three times they call to show them that this isn't something that they're messing around. And I don't know, I don't think that in the English language we have an equivalent. Because you don't say, oh, 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 right? You don't say that three times. And I don't know if there's an English equivalent to repeating that type of emphasis, right? It's like saying, oh, you there, right? Oh, you, or, or something. It's like using the same thing three times in slightly different ways to show that it is something which is extremely important. And that is what the prophets, uh, that is what Allah Azza wa Jal does in the Quran. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses them as al-kafirun, the disbelievers. قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Say, O oh, disbelievers, right? And in the other verse that we mentioned in Surah Al-Zumar that we said in one narration it said that the Surah, Surah Kafirun is revealed and some of the Surah are the verses of Surah Al-Zumar. In that verse قُلْ أَفَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ تَأْمُرُونِي أَعْبُدُ أَيُّهَا الْجَاهِلُونَ Say, do you command me to worship other than Allah, O people of ignorance? تَأْمُرُونِي أَيُّهَا right? The two emphasis the ya isn't mentioned there but the two other forms of emphasis and calling and address are mentioned in Surah Al-Zumar. تَأْمُرُونِ أَعْبُدُ أَيُّهَا الْجَاهِلُونَ O you people of ignorance. And Allah Azza wa changes these two terms. Right? Allah Azza wa interchanges these two terms. Kafirun and Jahilun. 
disbelief and ignorance. Why? Because disbelief is based upon ignorance. It is a lack of knowledge of Allah Azza wa Jal and the rights of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And what is befitting for Allah Azza wa Jal, it is a lack of knowledge of those things that lead people to then worship other than Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. As is mentioned, I think we mentioned the narration before, of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah when he mentions the first form of fear on earth. Right? Its origin comes from what? Comes from ignorance, right? a lack of knowledge. When people thought that those, uh, you know, before the time of Nuh alayhi salam, that the idols that they had built were gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a form of ignorance. Right? It is a form of ignorance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Iblis thought that because he was made of fire, that he was therefore better than a creation that was made from a lesser form, namely clay and mud. It is a form of ignorance in Allah Azza wa Jal that the Quran mold their gods from food stuff, from food, from dates and barley and wheat, and then they would eat those same gods, but it wouldn't make sense to them that what they're doing is something which you know, completely goes against what should be the attributes of a deity and of a god. It is ignorance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whenever someone performs an act of shirk or an act of, of, of disobedience or innovation or whatever it may be, it is because always of a lack of knowledge. Right? And that's why some of the scholars said in the, had in the verse of the Quran, subhanahu wa ta'ala lists sins. They said that it is listed in order of decrease to increase of priority and severity. Allah Azza wa Jalla has made haram all types of evil, what is apparent and what is hidden, wal ithm and sin, wal baghya bighayril haqq and oppression without any due cause. Wa an tushriku billahi ma lam yunazzil bihi sultana and that you should associate with Allah worship, sit with Allah partners for that which he has sent down no authority. Wa an taqulu ala Allahi ma la ta'lamun and that you should say about Allah what you have no knowledge of. Some of the scholars say that those are in order of severity, right? the least severe to the most severe. And shirk is mentioned not as the last one, but the one before the last. There is a further one, and that is what is the basis of shirk. And that is to worship Allah upon ignorance. To think that this is what Allah Azza wa Jal wants, and it is based upon not knowing the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the famous hadith of Mu'adh radiallahu an ya Mu'adh, أَتَدْرِي مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ وَحَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ Do you know the right that Allah has upon his slaves and the rights of the slaves upon Allah? And he said Allah and his messenger know best. The Prophet ﷺ said the rights of Allah upon his slaves is that they worship him alone and don't associate anyone in worship with him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the rights of the slaves upon Allah is that if he won't punish them. That is the rights that Allah has placed upon himself and the rights that Allah Azza wa has placed upon us regarding him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And so this is an issue which Allah Azza wa therefore addresses in, uh, in, you know, in this surah. Right? When he addresses people in these two terms and they are mentioned in the, in the, in, in the Quran in different ways and forms. For example, Allah Azza wa says concerning those people who worship other than Allah, inhum illa kal an'am. They are like cattle. But rather they are more astray, right? more astray. And when Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about the people in Surah, um, Surah Al-Fatiha, people who worship Allah without knowledge, he calls them waladdalin, the people of misguidance, right? people who have gone astray, thinking that they're worshipping Allah upon knowledge, that they're doing good, but in reality it is not something which is based upon anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants or approves of, or that Allah Azza wa Jal has legislated ordained in this religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls them out in these terms. Right? He speaks to them. Because why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing them the severity number one of the issue that they're speaking about. And obviously, as we all know, what was the main contention? What's the main issue between the Prophet and the Quraysh? It's not an issue of family. It's not an issue of wealth. It's not an issue that they considered him to be you know, untrustworthy because they used to call him Al-Ameen and a sadiq and they would give him all of these praiseworthy titles sallallahu alayhi wasallam before islam the issue between that play is an issue of la ilaha illallah that's where the difference came in and so now when it comes to that same basis and that same foundation allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about it in unequivocal terms 
very direct and very open and very blunt. And Allah Azza wa calls them in those terms. And you know, inshallah, next week when we, when we carry on with this uh, tafsir of the first verse, we'll speak about how some of the scholars said, does the al in al-kafirun, is it just for the Quraysh or is it for everyone? Who does it include? Who does it include? Inshallah ta'ala, when we go into it in more detail. Yeah, I mean, uh, Awais. Yeah, so it's all the same thing. So in that verse when Allah Azza wa says, and to speak about Allah that which you don't know, right? That's the of Allah Azza wa upon ignorance, right? Because when a scholar or when a person, any person, speaks about the religion of Allah without knowledge, because propagating the deen, propagating knowledge, giving da'wah, teaching Islam and so on, are all forms of worship. So essentially it comes back to the same issue, right? And both of them obviously manifestations of the same thing. إِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ رَبِّيَ الْفَاحِشَةِ وَأَصُرَ زَعَةِ Is it an am or is it araf? Ayah 33, mashaAllah. Look at that. Dr. Zakir Naik's in the house. So, chapter number 7, verse number 33. You can't do that and then like say to me, I hope, I wish. Insha'Allah. Right. Uh, let me just take this um, uh, this question online. Shakila Ali, is it all right to read these three rak'ahs as two rak'ah and witr with two salams? They're all considered to be part of the witr. Um, the, the scholars in Arabic they call it shafa and witr, which means two odd, uh, two even, and then one one odd, right? Two even and one odd. But the three together are considered to be uh, witr, and Allah knows best. Yeah, if you mean something else, then please like uh, post something, uh, clarify that. Yeah, Akhi, do you have a question? Yeah. Okay, so that's a good question. So the. Um, the uh, question is, why does Allah Azza wa call them kafirun and not mushrikun? Because they believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? The two terms, kafirun and mushrikun, in the Quran are to some degree interchangeable. Because they are kafirun because they disbelieved in the oneness of Allah. And they are mushrikun because they associated Allah, others, in Allah's worship. So they have both titles and both of them fit them. And Allah Azza wa sometimes uses this and sometimes uses that. Right? They are kafirun, they are disbelievers because they disbelieve in Allah's oneness. And they are mushrikun because they commit shirk, they add partners in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa addresses them just as he addresses them as zalimun, as oppressors, because they have oppressed the right of Allah that is his greatest right. And Allah Azza wa addresses them as jahirun, as we said, ignorant people, because they are people of ignorance, right? And because, and Allah Azza wa calls them fasiqun, right? Because they have caused fisk, they have caused evil upon the earth, right? With their sins. And he calls them mufsidun, because they have caused corruption upon the earth by not ruling with the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of these terms are used to describe them, right? And they're used to describe not only them, but even the disbelievers of of previous nations as well. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Any sisters have any questions? No, so it refers to some of the brothers asking last week when we mentioned that everything glorifies Allah and praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is that in reference only to Allah's creations or even things which are man-made? It is in reference to Allah's creations, what Allah created, right? 
Um, so it's not something like like the microphone and the table and so on. No, it's what Allah Azza wa Jal created. And obviously, the exception to that also is the disbelieving humans because they don't praise Allah and glorify Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in that way. Um, just as the Prophet mentioned, for the disbeliever or for the person who's punished in their grave, when they're struck on their head in the grave, they scream, and it is a scream that is heard by every creation except for the humans and the jinn. And so these are certain things that Allah Azza wa has given to certain things from His creation in a manner that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. Do Muslims bury non-Muslims? What do you mean? What do you mean? Can they bury non-Muslims? Can Muslims bury non-Muslims? Yeah, they can bury non-Muslims. Yeah. If they have to bury non-Muslims, yeah. But you mean can you pray the janazah? That's a different. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. So inshallah, I think we'll uh, we'll stop there. Barakallahu feekum, jazakum Allah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.